episode of the New Craft House podcast is sponsored by Faf. We use Faf sewing machines in all of our sewing and in all of our workshops, and they really are the best of the best. With everything from beginner machines like the Smarter Range to the Ambition machines that we use in classes to the top of the range creative icon, Faf have something for every sewist. Hi, and welcome to today's episode. On the show with me today, I've got two really exciting guests, Elisa Lex de Castro Peak and Patrick Grant. Elisa Lex de Castro Peak is the leading lady at Byhand London, an independent sewing pattern company whose patterns are a real favourite amongst sewists. With everything from dresses to swoonover, to coats, trousers and skirts, their signature style is classy, ultimately wearable, with an undertone of total glamour, much like Elisa Lex herself. Elisa Lex founded the company and continues to run it today. She also writes a column for Love Sewing Magazine, shares her incredible sewing creations on her personal Instagram, at Elisa Lex, teaches sewing classes, including her super popular bodice fitting masterclass at our studio. And did we even mention that her mum is Ursula de Castro, founder of Fashion Revolution? As well as all of that, she's our mate and we're very excited to have her here. Welcome, Elisa Lex. Hey. <laughs> Patrick Grant is probably most famous amongst the sewing community for his long-standing role as one of the judges on the Great British Sewing Bee. His career is much wider than this may lead you to believe, though. He has been called the Savile Row Renegade, who turned around Norton & Sons at bespoke Savile Row tailors after buying it in 2005, and a few years later did the same with E. Torts & Sons, a subsidiary of Norton & Sons, which produces more casual menswear. More recently, he founded Community Clothing, a clothing brand focused on creating good jobs and restoring economic prosperity in deprived areas of the UK. The company is based in Blackburn and utilises factories right across the UK where all of their clothing is made. You might think Patrick had enough on his plate, but in just the past month he's launched the Big Community Sew Project, encouraging people to dust off their sewing machines and make face coverings. As Patrick says, if everyone with a sewing machine in the UK made 12 masks, we'd have enough for one each. Thank you so much for joining us today, Patrick. Thank you. So how are you both? Thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, I'm good. I mean, um, it's been a real, it's been a real 10 weeks, hasn't it? Or more, three months. Yeah, I can't believe it's been three months actually already since we shut down. It's gone so fast. Yeah. Yeah. Like so fast and so slow all at the same time. Mine's felt pretty slow, I'm not going to lie. Mine has felt pretty fast. There's been no, <laughs> no. no slow at all. And <laughs> no slow. Yeah. Where have you been spending it? Well, I the first, I, I, right at the very beginning of this, so the company that you didn't mention is the company where I'm sitting now, which is Cookson & Clegg, which is a long-standing clothing manufacturer. We've been in Blackburn since 1860. And... Right at the very beginning of the kind of big swell of, of uh, realization that we were, you know, short on all sorts of bits of PPE, we started getting phone calls from NHS suppliers, from hospitals, from private hospital companies. Um, and very, very quickly, we switched production here over to, to, to making uh, scrubs and other bits of PPE. Um, so I moved here. So I was in, I live in London normally, South London, but uh, I moved up here uh, about 11 weeks ago, I think, something like that. Mm. I put a call out to friends in the area just saying, you know, does anyone know anywhere where I can live? Because obviously all the hotels and B&Bs and everything were closed. So 
very kindly uh, a man called Colin Struthers let me live in his granny annex on his farm in Rottenstall. Uh, and Colin also cooked my tea every night. And so pretty much every day for the last 11 weeks, I've been working a kind of 12 to 14 hour day uh, managing a huge transformation of our business here. I mean, we used to make something in the region of three or 400 pieces of really expensive, very complex, very finely sewn bits of expensive designer clothing. And I think the biggest week we did here, we did 150,000 pieces of PPE. Mm. Um, wow. I mean, last week, it's a mixture of different things. Last week, it was about 80,000 pieces. So, I mean, we've, we've, we've produced over three quarters of a million pieces uh, in the past 10 weeks. And that number is possibly set to go up again. There's, there's, there's been a constant kind of evolution of what we've been asked to make, you know, as as different things have been in shorter supply, we've had to flex our workforce and change what we make. And I mean, it's been a complete and utter transformation. And we've actually grown the company and we've had help from various other factories, some of them community clothing partner factories that we know locally. So people lent us machines, people lent us staff, people did you know certain parts of certain processes, people did for us. So it's this kind of amazing group effort that brought it all together you know we were kind of driving down the road and grabbing bonadex machines from you know edward taylor and and mitchell interflex were cutting bits out for us and you know eastman's were lending us machines and hobkirk's down the road restarted you know brought one of their engineers back to build us some machines and it was um it, you know it's, it's been pretty extraordinary um and 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 now, of course, we've got the volunteer sewing effort that's 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 really really starting to pick up in a big way. So, no, it hasn't been slow at all. <laughs> I haven't. I mean, I haven't. You know, somebody asked me about watching telly. I literally the only thing I've watched is the sewing bee. I I haven't had a telly. I've watched it on my phone because there was no telly and no Wi-Fi in my little annex. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah been it's truly been, locked down. It's been yeah, but I've been at work every day. I've been coming into here at quarter to seven every morning and leaving, you know, sometimes nine, ten o'clock at night. Um, oh. So yeah, it definitely hasn't felt slow. I do feel great sympathy for everybody that has been stuck indoors because you know I know a lot of people are feeling pretty helpless and miserable. Some of them. Um, and actually, that's one of the great things about the big community. So I know we'll talk about that later, but it's given a lot of people a sense of purpose and and a sense of being part of a community again. You know, I think it's created virtual communities all across the country, which have been incredibly powerful. Yeah. A friend of mine was involved in the Sewing the Scrubs at Home project, and she um, she organised a group, and I think they sewed a few hundred pairs. Um, but that was seemed pretty full on for one person. She was sewing like 50 pairs to commit to that. But I didn't realize that you were sewing um, PPE on that scale. Yeah. Um, But interesting, (laughs) they delivered them to a um, midwife ward um, at a London hospital and they said they were the nicest sewn scrubs they'd ever had. (laughs) Well, that's very, very lovely of them to say that. Um, I mean, we we heard a similar thing. I mean, at the moment, you know, most most PPE is sewn overseas. Yeah. Most most scrubs, most gowns, most of everything is made overseas. 
And the company that we work for, um, who are a big, you know, one of the NHS's main suppliers, they have four factories globally that normally make this stuff. And they were all closed down. And we, you know, we hopped in quite quickly. I mean, obviously, we're very small compared to the factories they normally use. Um, but we got the same thing. These are the best soaps girls you've ever seen. So um, it was very nice to hear. But uh, <laughs> well, should be. We're used to making two thousand pound yes. raincoats out there. That's <laughs> scrubs. Um, but um, you know, I think there's something very interesting has happened. I think it's sort of the whole process has reawakened people's interest in firstly in manufacturing, but also in manufacturing of sewn products and. So many people have have dusted off their sewing machines, and and sewing machines have sold out across the UK. Yeah. Um, wow. So we know that literally millions of them are in circulation in the UK, and um, the UKFT have done a project where they, you know, I think we we have struggled for trained machinists over the last 15, 20 years, and. I hope this might be a catalyst for more. I mean, actually, we had one of the volunteers that's making masks in this area popped in to drop off a batch of, uh, sorry, face coverings, uh, dropped off a batch of face coverings with us yesterday. And, you know, and we're giving her a sewing trial next week. So, you know, we, we, we very much hope that this might kickstart something. And, and my hope is that there will be some legacy of sewn product here. We, we, we did a... We've done a pilot with with the local NHS innovations unit here in the Northwest around reusable gowns because we're currently making some disposable gowns here. But it struck me as a complete waste of people's time to be sewing, you know, in this country where labor cost is a little bit higher, to be sewing something that's going to be used once and binned. I mean, also from a sustainability angle, it's absolutely atrocious. The waste, you know, the, the plastic waste, this is, you know, Medical face masks and disposable gowns are made of plastic. I mean, this mm. is a huge, huge amount of waste. So we we started a project which is still ongoing to, to develop um, reusable gowns made local to the hospital trust here. And, you know, they worked out that they could reduce the use of disposables by 75% by switching to a part disposable, part reusable strategy. Because there are lots of areas in the hospital where you don't need to use disposable gowns. and you know, we hope that, that, you know, there was, I think there is a political will to see some of this remain. And partly because of, you know, um, um, the ability to maintain supply chains when things go badly wrong in, in a condition like this. You know, we can't be reliant on stuff coming from 7,000 miles away. But also there is a huge social benefit and economic benefit to the UK, particularly right now when we're trying to find a way to rebuild an economy, manufacturing can bounce back in a in a in I think a much simpler way than a lot of the service economy. I mean, it's very sad to think about how those businesses will recover, but manufacturing can recover. We can create uh, a lot of jobs for people making the stuff that for a long time we've relied on other people to make. Do you envisage that it'll be something that you'll continue going forward? I hope it will be. I mean, we're going to do our best to see it. I mean, we have spoken to our local trust about whether there will be an ongoing demand. And just for the three hospitals here, there's, there is there is a reasonable ongoing demand. And there are 270 trusts or something across oh, the okay. UK. Um, 
there, there is a lot of product consumed in the NHS and quite a lot of it could be reusable if there was political will to take a little bit of a cost hit on the chin within the NHS to create a much broader societal economic benefit. Yeah. And I think the same thing applies to military uniforms. I think the same thing applies to school uniforms. You know, my nephews go to school in polyester sweatshirts that are made on the other side of the world. They could be made out of something that is much more natural, much more sustainable, has a longer life and creates economic prosperity, you know, where we need it in, in this country. Because there are a lot of places like, you know, this part of Lancashire where there's been very high unemployment for a long time. Absolutely. Yeah. So, Elise Lex, your lockdown's been a lot different. I know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, it's not necessarily been as uh, um, beneficial to the world, I would say. But um, no, I mean, it's it's been busy, though. It has been busy as well, I think. The, the definitely the bonus of having an online business means that I've been able to run it um, throughout the whole of lockdown, which I feel incredibly grateful for. Uh, we left, we actually, so I live in, I live in London in a two bed flat in Harlesden with my 11 year old son. Um, so at the very beginning of lockdown, just before actually lockdown, when they just, I think it was the week before they announced that schools were going to be closing. I, um, I made the decision to get out of London and to go and stay at my dad's house in the country um, just because the thought of spending a lockdown cooped up in a little flat with no outdoor space, just me and my son, I thought it was going to be definitely a total nightmare. And at my dad's house, we've got, you know, there's family. My youngest brother is only two years older than my son. So they've got each other. They can kind of hang out and and, um, you know, and do all the online school stuff together. So we we went there. We were there for 10 weeks and actually we just got back on Friday and um, it was, it was great. I mean, it was weird, but it was, it was really good. And the whole, I think having a, a sewing based company has meant that actually business has been, business has been really good, which is, um, you know, I feel both really grateful and slightly, uh, what's the word? No, I just feel grateful. I feel really grateful that business has been good. And so many people, I mean, that's it. I Like you say, Patrick, I mean, I guess so many more, not only all the people that already sew, sewing way more, but all the people who wanted to learn how to sew are now really taking this opportunity to do that finally and to take the time and to, you know, practice and learn a new skill, which is amazing. So, yeah, I've been, I've been teaching one-to-one video class sessions as well, which has been really good um, and kind of in lieu of the in-person classes that we do at, at your place, Hannah. And um, it's, been, it's been really full on. It's been a, a house full of family, uh, kids to manage, homeschooling to stay on top of, business to stay on top of. And um, yeah, so it's been it's been really packed and it has felt it's it's been surreal. But I'm already now that I'm back home um, and school started for my son on Monday because he's in year six. Uh, I slightly have that. I almost feel nostalgic for the beginning of lockdown in a weird way for that kind of slower. I mean, I think maybe it's also I feel nostalgic for the countryside. I miss it. I miss that a lot. It's weird being back in London. Um it's good. It's good, but it's definitely weird being back in London and not having, 
not having all that outdoor space and the greenery and the and the lambs and the cows and you know all of that well if neither of you have been in london for any of lockdown you've been missing out on some really busy parks because <laughs> it is heaving <laughs> everywhere yeah. like you look and it's no, like I, actually festival. i went the first thing i did I went to the park on on um, Saturday when we got back to London this weekend and I couldn't believe it. I mean, it's just completely, it felt like a normal day. It was, you know, glorious sunshine, everyone out in the park, you know, normal amount of traffic on the road, normal amount of bikes on the road. Um, and obviously, I mean, either way, on a normal day, you would social distance in a park. You wouldn't necessarily park your picnic blanket right next door to some strangers group of people you know so it just felt it just felt really normal but kind of overwhelming having been isolated in a kind of tiny little beautiful bubble for the last two and a half months yeah i've been jealous of your lockdown location got to say um so do could we hear a little bit about your background so i've mentioned um in the intro that the businesses that you're running now, but you both had non-traditional journeys to that point. Um, you're both such big figures in the UK sewing world now, but neither of you actually started off training in sewing. So Patrick, do you want to start just by telling our listeners a little bit about that? I studied engineering at university. So I did a degree in material science and engineering. So I studied polymers, electronic and traditional ceramics, um metallurgy and all of the kind of engineering behind making things out of all sorts of materials but uh a tiny bit of textiles but it was really just a, a you know in passing there were more kind of carbon woven carbons than there were woven cottons um but uh i and i worked in in engineering for for about a decade and then i went back to university to do postgrad and by complete chance, came across an advert in the back of a newspaper for, you know, it said Norton and Sons was for sale. And I'd always been, uh, I'd always been into clothes. I'd always been into tailored clothes. I'd always been into handmade things. I'd always been into expensive stuff. Um, uh, and I, and, and I bought Norton and Sons. I mean, that's as, as, as simple as the story can get. I just fell in love with the idea of, of sort of, this little almost 200 year old tailoring house and thought that that's what I wanted to do. So I sold, sold my house and, and I was lucky that I'd been reasonably successful in that previous career. And so I had a, um, I had a house up in Liverpool, which I sold and I had a house in Oxford, which I mortgaged. And, and then I rustled up some money from friends and family and I took over Norton and Sons and I went to work there. We had one part-time cutter, one tailor in house, and and then me and I did every job from the you know cleaning the loos to doing the bookkeeping to cutting and trimming and trotting between the workshops and um, and John uh, oh we had a, a, a shirt maker in house as well so between them all they they taught me how to do uh, you know everything that we that we do but you know I'm not a trained tailor I mean people often describe me as a tailor I am not I mean you it is a long hard apprenticeship to be a tailor on Savile Row you know it's a minimum of really two to three years to become a trouser maker a minimum really of three to four years to become a coat maker I didn't do that apprenticeship but you know I learned to do all of the things I learned to make shirts with our shirt maker 
Uh, Wally, our coat maker, taught me to make coats. Chris Katori, our trouser maker, taught me to make trousers. So I learned how to do it all, but I haven't done a lot of it. And, you know, and I don't, you know, I'm not a huge sewer. I, I, I sew occasionally, but my job is is running this business and running this factory. So, you know, I, um, uh, I'm not bad at it. But <laughs> I'm certainly not as good as the people I employ um, who are the very best at it. Um, but I learned everything I needed to do. You know, I spent, you know, I would I would work all day in the workshop. And then in the evenings, I would do the bookkeeping and do all the other administration for the business. And I learned my way through it. And, and, and luckily, we managed to get Norton and Sons back to a pretty good position. And we, you know, for, for, for the last 13 years, the business has been running really well. Um, and then this happened. But um, and then from Norton's, I started other things. So I restarted eTorts. We were getting a lot of interest in um doing some ready-to-wear with Norton's, and I didn't want to change Norton's because we'd, we'd only just fixed it. Uh, and then, you know, I won some awards for doing what I did with eTorts, and then we started Hammond & Co. with Debenhams, and that was an enormous business. Um, we got, you know, we built a business that was selling over £25 million worth of clothes a year for men only. Um, and then this happened. Um <laughs> Um, and on the back of all of that, I, you know, eTorts was produced in lots of great factories around the UK. So I knew a lot of fantastic producers and this factory here, Cookson and Clegg was, was our best supplier. And I got a, a, an email on a Sunday afternoon, Sunday evening, just over, over five years ago. Um, and the, the, Owners said, look, we're shutting the factory. That's it. You've got two more months. We're going to make the, you know, we'll make these final orders, but, but then it'll be done. And I emailed them back and said, you know, what can we do about that? And they said, well, not really very much. And I said, well, can we take the factory off your hands? Uh, and that's what we did. And luckily, you know, Hammond was making a decent amount of money. So we used the money from Hammond to pay for this factory. And for the last five years, you know, we've, uh, you know, we've been working to build this back up. And community clothing was started as a response to the problems that factories like this one and lots of others in the UK have, which is that there isn't consistent high volume business to keep them, you know, to keep them afloat. There's small amounts of low volume business and it's completely seasonal. And in order to run a business effectively, you, you've got to have a bit of continuity. So that's what community clothing was started to do. It was there to keep all of those factories alive and help them rebuild. Um, the whole idea is that, you know, we start off by filling the, the gaps in the production schedule and that keeps the factory busy year round and then they can start to grow. And as they grow, they get more efficient. They can invest in more training, more people, more uh, automation, all of the systems that they need. Because our factories are, you know, frankly, quite small and quite under under invested in. But there's no reason why British factories cannot produce things at a very, very you know, cost-effective price if they've got the correct level of training and investment and the right, you know, the right business into them. So that's what community clothing was started to do. And just as Elisa Lex has said, luckily community clothing is online and, and the response to that business has been extraordinary throughout this entire period. You know, we've we, we had to furlough most of our staff. Uh, there's myself and Jane who does customer services and that's that's it right now. 
Um, our distribution centre is open, and, and that's that's run by another company down the road in Chorley. Um, but customers have bought in in greater volume than they've ever bought before, and the messages that we've had from people has have been overwhelmingly wonderful. You know, people want to support something that that creates prosperity in communities that they care about, and um, and also people want to buy clothes that aren't aren't fashion. I think people have, have really, really started to think very carefully about what they buy. You know, we, we make things that we want people to keep forever. And that's a very important part of our message. You know, we, we you know, we'll make you socks and pants and t-shirts and those will wear out. But you know, our jeans and our sweatshirts, we'd like you to keep them for 50 years. And I think people are not only responding to the kind of economic prosperity and the job creation side of it, but just that re- very simple message that good clothes should be worn forever. And, 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 and I think between those two things, we've seen a kind of huge outpouring of positivity from customers towards community clothing. And, and I hope that it will continue past this. That's amazing. That's really great to hear. Has, um, have your other tailors, are they completely on pause at the moment yeah they are um we uh we had to close the shop down i mean we had already closed the shop down before the the government announced the lockdown um it was really clear that it wasn't it wasn't safe to continue doing it and and of course nobody was coming to Mm. shop in central london so um we took that decision anyway um and then of course the furlough scheme thankfully was created and that has given some of our staff a lifeline, but some of our tailors are self-employed and are not covered by that scheme, um, which is difficult to manage. Um, and many of those have been sewing voluntarily. Um, um, we're trying to make a plan to bring it back, but you know, we're, we're, in, a, in a funny way, we're lucky that we've been open here because we've had to manage through all of those safe working uh, practices. We've established good guidelines here. And we're able now to put that into place in Northland Sun. There's a lot of stuff to think about when you're reopening a business in terms of uh, safe, safe, safety for customers and safety for staff. And, you know, but we are, you know, we're, we're working through a plan for, for Norton's at the moment that we think will see us reopen in a small way, maybe only one or two days a week and probably just with one member of staff perhaps as early as, as, as the beginning of next month. But we're, you know, we're just, we're just following yeah. things change all the time. I mean, everything seems, you know, you think you know what you're doing and then a week later that's all changed. But um, we've done the same thing for e-torts, you know, it's, it's men's fashion week next week. Um, but uh, you know, we haven't made any physical samples. We haven't, uh, we haven't shot any product. We, we've, we've created the whole show entirely digitally we photoshopped and comped it together i've been taking photos i mean i probably shouldn't be talking about it but i've been taking photos as i've been cycling around on my weekends i mean i've always managed thankfully to get a few hours on a saturday and a few hours on a sunday to to get myself out because i'm surrounded by you know beautiful scenery here in the west pennines and um i've been taking photos of lots of closed sporting grounds cricket pitches and bowling greens and but you know we didn't want to show them empty so we filled them with you know we've 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 comped in bowlers and cricketers and and then we you know we completely photoshopped all of the 
the the looks for the for the show and all of our models are standing in these beautiful positions like, like amazing kind of looking locations that you know i've been cycling past so it's you know we it, the the kind of level of of change in the way things happen and i think you know i can't i can't see the fashion industry going back to what it was like before i mean it was so incredibly wasteful there was so much nonsense you know the, the you know that the, the clothes had become secondary in the fashion industry it was all about just stuff it was all about you know excessive set creations and and you know and some of that is the reason people fall in love with fashion but i think they need to i think they need they need new reasons to fall you know in love with it again and the, and the bfc very sensibly i think put out some some statements with the cfda which was about you know it needs to re, you know fashion needs to go back to being small and incredibly high quality and beautiful things that people want to keep for a very long time you know this idea that that fashion is an excuse for churn i think is 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 so outdated and you know i and i think there will be some positive change that is that is enacted by this this period of absolute kind of lockdown I think what you say though as well about falling in love with fashion again I think that's that's going to be the change I think with all this um you know consumerist fast fashion it hasn't been love that people fall into it's it's a kind of lusty trendy whirlwind you know whereas when you fall in love with a piece you kind of covet it you maybe you save up for it for a while and then you really do treasure it and you keep it forever you mend it when it breaks and um you make it last you know it's like a commitment. You make a commitment to a piece of clothing that you've fallen in love with. Yeah, I mean, I think I think it's difficult because I do love I love fashion. I love the creativity. I love the storytelling. I love you know I love the imagination that goes into it. And there are designers that I absolutely adore. I mean, I'm good friends. You know, Christopher Kane, for example. Every season, you know, he works an idea and he creates some extraordinary technique that tells some great story. Those are things to be treasured. I, you know, I, I grew up having to save up for months and months to buy a thing. And then I would keep that thing for years and years. There are things that I bought in my teens that I still have and wear. Uh, and I'm, that was 30 years ago. But it, it, it all needs to change. The needs to, it need, the needs, the value in it needs to come back. We need to see it very differently. And, and there are other things that we can, you know, and the rest of our wardrobe, you know, we, we need to just think about it differently. Again, you know, we're a big, we're, we're big on mending. We're big on, you know, we're big on cherishing. And I, I'm with you, you know, the longer you have a piece and the more you wear it, the more special it becomes. And in fact, you know, the, the more you patch it, the more you repair it, the more life you've, you know, you, you give it and the more special it becomes. Absolutely. Like every man tells a story and holds a memory. You probably all know that we are huge fans of faff machines. We use them in all of our workshops and when we're sewing at home on our boats. So what do we love most about them? They're super smooth to sew on with a sleek design and their iconic IDT system, essentially a built-in walking foot, makes handling all types of fabric a dream. We honestly couldn't sew what we do without them. Get in touch with us if you fancy a machine upgrade or if you'd like to know more about any of the models. Elise Lex, would you like to tell us a little bit about your journey to where you are now at Byhan London? Um, yeah, so I, well, so I trained as a shoemaker at London College of Fashion. Um, I guess with my mum, my mum, before she started Fashion Revolution, she was a, she was a designer and she had her own label. 
and it was she was kind of one of the first in the UK fashion scene to be doing sustainable fashion everything she made was from upcycled materials and so I grew up around that and and I used to help her out at the fashion weeks when I was a teenager and obviously I guess being a, a teenager in London you know really into clothes and fashion it was really it was inspiring and eye-opening and and to be able to learn about the sustainability in fashion alongside that period in my life I think was a real um, it just really set me up, I think, for the way that I view fashion and consuming and clothes and all that kind of thing in a way that a lot of teenagers probably don't get. Um, so I always just assumed that I would go into fashion when I left school and um, shoes were always my absolute love and passion and all my pocket money was saved up and spent on shoes. And when I left when I left school, I instead of going on a gap year, I went to work for Jimmy Choo and I mean, I was lucky enough to still be living at home and not having to pay bills, but every single one of my paychecks went on shoes. Um, so I had a pretty decent collection by the time I was in my early 20s. Um, so then, yeah, so then I went to London College of Fashion and I studied shoemaking, which I absolutely adored. I loved it so much. Um, but what I didn't realize at the time was that actually the the element of it that I loved when I was at school was the actual making. I liked being in the in the factory. I liked hammering the, the uppers onto the lasts. I loved all the sanding and the gluing and the, you know, the kind of getting the heels in and all the machinery and, and even the pattern cutting I really liked as well. Although I don't think I was necessarily that great at it because it definitely was quite mathematical. Um, and then when I left there, I just, I was quite impatient and I knew what I wanted to do. I wanted to set up my own label. It was going to be you know, like high-end designer luxury shoes, but all made from upcycled leathers and veg-tanned leathers. It was all going to be produced in a small family-run factory in East London that used to do a lot of Vivian Westwood's production. And um, and I kind of just launched myself into it straight away without having had any work experience for any other brand or anything else. And I, you know, obviously looking back, that feels quite naive but um but you know I it was all part of my I guess that was my work experience and at the same time I had also just gotten married I got married when I was 21 and um and then I had my son just after my 24th birthday so I actually had my first show at fashion week when I was eight months pregnant um and then and then that also coincided with the 2008 uh crash so, uh, it was really difficult, basically. I kind of launched myself into this shoe design career without much experience behind me, without really any investment behind me and with a small baby, um, and then eventually a marriage that was falling apart. And, um, so I did the shoes for about four years, but I really, again, and then I kind of kept coming back to this thing that I didn't like the... I didn't like doing the PR. I didn't like doing the fashion weeks. I didn't like the schmooze. I just, I actually just wanted to be in the factory. I just wanted to be actually making the shoes myself, but I couldn't obviously do that. So, um, it, you know, it kind of, it, after about four years, it turned out that it wasn't, it, you know, it wasn't going to be a viable business and, it took a while to kind of swallow that pill. I think I'd really gone into it thinking, this is me, this is my career. I'm a shoe designer. This is what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. And realizing that actually 
you don't have to be one thing for the rest of your life. You can, you know, your career can evolve and change and, um, you know, go through all sorts of twists and turns is, is actually a really beautiful thing. So I, I packed in the shoes, um, <laughs> packed in the shoes, got a divorce and rethought my whole life. <laughs> um, and, and actually, and that's when, I mean, I say I found the sewing community, but actually I think it really is a case of the sewing community kind of, you know, found me and gave, you know, I don't know. It was, I was basically, I took like six months off after having closing, after closing down the label, I took six months to just spend time at home with my son. He was, he was kind of like nursery age at that point. He was about two and a half or three. Um, And so I just, you know, I allowed myself the six month grace period to not freak out about my career and to just do the things that were making me happy, which at the time were being a mum and and sewing. And that was sewing had had kind of become, even through the the difficult years with running the running the label, I would find myself turning to just kind of sewing and making stuff for myself and knitting and crochet and embroidery and stuff like that to just as a as a as an escape, I suppose, you know, like let me just brush those taxes under the under the carpet and do some sewing instead. So I, I discovered all these amazing sewing bloggers and realized that there was actually this whole world of women and some men, not that many at the time that I knew about, but mostly women out there all over the world who were doing, you know, who were doing the same thing, who were kind of sewing and teaching themselves to sew and sharing the skills and reviewing sewing patterns and kind of posting tutorials on how to do full bust adjustments and you know oh I struggled with this pattern can anyone help me and then people jumping in and helping and it just it was absolutely mind-blowing to see this and especially having come from I mean my generation we weren't taught how to sew at school it was just it wasn't you know home economics was not sewing anymore it's 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 just it's gone in schools which is I think really really sad and I definitely think that it should come back for you know for both girls and boys I think it's an absolutely invaluable skill that everyone should come out of school with a basic understanding of knowing how to sew knowing how to mend um but here were women the world over relearning these skills and teaching them to each other and and it was amazing so I I kind of lost myself in that for a few months and then um and then I decided to start my own blog just mostly as a as like a I guess like an, a working journal of my own progress and you know to kind of document the things that I was making and and to connect with other people that I was following and um and then I got a call in the summer from an old school friend of mine Charlotte um who I'd gone to secondary school with and she was she kind of sent me this cryptic message saying, I've got this, you know, I've got this really harebrained scheme and I really wanted to pick your brain about it. And can we meet for a coffee? And I hadn't seen her since, I don't think I'd seen her since my baby shower, kind of four years before that, three or four years before that. So we met up for a coffee. She was working for a big um, tech company for Moo.com who do all the all the business cards and stuff. Um, but she had been she'd been basically wanting to get out of that and start up her own thing. And her kind of, her vision was something that would essentially marry tech with uh, older, more analog skills. 
And um, and she'd obviously she'd seen that I had started the sewing blog, and she'd also been following my. She, I think she st- at the time she still thought that I was still running my my shoe label. Um, so, you know, she just I guess she just you know she wanted some advice and starting your own business and pitfalls and wanting to bounce around some ideas and and very quickly it, you know I I obviously told her that I'd stopped doing the shoe business and I was totally free and available for you know potential new business ideas and we realized right there and then that she had the kind of she had this kind of tech business background whereas I had the the kind of practical hands-on business running and also the sewing experience and stuff like that so we decided right there and then to go into business together um although the original idea was not what it is now it wasn't sewing patterns the original idea was actually we had a couple of different original ideas and but the one that we ended up doing a business plan for was going to be this like incredible sewing emporium it was going to be this huge shop that would have you know, the most beautiful ethically sourced fabrics from around the world and, you know, vintage sewing and crafting trinkets that we had sourced from, you know, all these amazing markets and places that we were going to go traveling around and discovering and exploring. And and we were going to run classes and there were going to be, you know, there was going to be a cafe and a kind of little library corner where you could sit and and knit or do some embroidery and get some help from our staff and there would be events and anyway it was going to be amazing but then we realized you know after we kind of put together a huge business plan that it was it was going to mean borrowing something insane like 200 grand and you know I probably would never have seen my son ever again with all the work that would have gone into it at the beginning and, um, and then it was her dad, actually, who looked through the business plan. Oh, and also on top of this whole sewing emporium, on the side, we were going to have our own line of sewing patterns, just as a little, you know, sprinkling to add into the mix. Um, and her dad looked through the business plan and very, you know, very kindly and gently helped us to realize that it was... Uh, possibly a little bit too ambitious to start off with. But then he noticed, you know, he kind of, he noticed the um, the sewing pattern element and he said, what's this? This is really interesting. You know, this is a product. This is something that you can really put your names to, that you can really put your stamp on and you can really start actually building, you know, building a kind of a, a customer base and a brand for yourselves with, with a product. Um, and that's basically how By Hand London was born we then we then put all of our energy into that and and um and that's that was it that was I think and then we launched our first patterns in uh when was it it was Christmas just before Christmas of 2013 I think it was and um and that was that you mentioned that the moment when you discovered the home sewing world and everyone that we speak to who's come from a fashion background, so as a pattern cutter or designer or a seamstress even, has then said that when they've discovered, they, they had no idea that this home sewing community existed, that people were spending like hours a week sewing. And then when they find it, they're like, it's a huge relief because compared to the fashion world, they just say it's the opposite. Everyone's yeah. so welcoming, so friendly and really like skilled seamstresses that are just sewing at home. Yeah, no, I mean, that was, I don't think I could ever, I mean, like I said before, that one of the things that I 
detested the most about working in fashion was the schmooze. I hated, hated the schmooze. It just felt so fake. And at the time it really was, I know it's changing now and I've got, you know, I have some friends who, who work in fashion on a more on the sustainable side of it. And I know that it is a lot more supportive and it is, there is a lot more um, camaraderie between brands, less, you know, there's, there's less kind of competition and more camaraderie, which is amazing. But at the time when I was working in it, it certainly wasn't like that at all. And it just felt very pretentious and very, um, just very fake and very showy. And I just couldn't, I couldn't get on board with that. And the contrast between that and working in the sewing community. And that's the thing. And I think, you know, there's just, there's not even really any point calling it the sewing industry or anything like that. It really just is still has always felt like a community and there is no, there is no competition. I feel no competition with my, with my, my direct competitors. I mean, my, my most direct competitors are close friends and we talk regularly. We have, you know, sleepovers, we go to parties together and well, we all, we used to, uh, hopefully one day again in the future, we will too again. Um, but you know, we share resources, we share information, we share, we share each other's successes, we share each other's failures. Um, it's really, and, and that's just among my, my competitors, but then in the wider community it's just, it's incredibly, it's incredibly open. It's incredibly supportive, um, without being too, uh, gooey, you know, it's still, especially now as well, it's still, we challenge each other and there's, there's definitely a kind of sense that everyone is learning and growing and evolving as a, as an industry, as a community altogether. Um, which is really, it's really, really wonderful. It couldn't be more wonderful. I mean, obviously it could be more wonderful, but it is absolutely as a, as a, as a job, it is, I couldn't have wished for a better (laughs) job basically. Okay, so we've had some questions sent in from members of the sewing community for you guys. Um, One for Patrick. Um, My husband's got into sewing after making a face covering. What are some, where would you start? What should he try next? Well, I think, I mean, try the things that he wants to sew either for himself or for people around him. Uh, I think the, the things that you're most likely to put love and real effort into are things that you know you're going to use. So I think make 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 the projects real. Um, I mean, there are simple. There are some very simple things that you can start with. I mean, the great thing about the big community sew is that it's shown people that it, I think it's 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 managed to break a few barriers down for people. I think a lot of people felt a bit scared of a sewing machine, and actually, a sewing machine is a very simple thing. I mean, threading it is probably the hardest thing of all. Um, but actually using it is incredibly simple. You put your foot in the thing and it sews for you. I mean, it couldn't be easier. And um, so I think a lot of people have, have found that actually making something sewn, cutting it out, assembling it, following the instructions, it's kind of like, you know, for men, it's kind of like Meccano or, you know, it, it's engineering with little bits of cloth. And I think a lot of them have found that it's kind of fun and, and making something is cool. And... Um, um, and thanks, of course, to Elisa Lex for doing the patterns for us for, for the Big Community Sew. But I think the Big Community Sew is, a, you know, 
it's a super easy way into sewing something. And some of the patterns are more complicated than others. Some of them, you know, the shape ones where you're going to turn them through. And, you know, there's a bit more engineering in some of them. But some of them are very simple. But I think people get the bug. You know, we, we all know that making things with our hands makes us feel good. And I think that's allowed people in. So I think the next step for him would be like, what, you know, what do you want to wear? What do you want to, what do you want to make for your kids or your partner? Just, just make something for them. Um, you know, sewing with woven cottons is, is, is kind of easy. I mean, start with, start with something there and take your time. And if it's rubbish, unpick it and redo it. It's, it's very forgiving. Thank <laughs> you. Um, next question. What's your favorite round on the sewing bee? Is this for me? Yeah. Well, both of you can answer. Um, Quite a few people ask this one. The, uh, I mean, I, I, I love the transformations. I think they're the, the <laughs> things that the, the moments of greatest kind of singular joy on the show are those moments where we walk through that door. We're like, oh my God. What <laughs> sometimes, sometimes amazing for positive reasons, sometimes amazing for other reasons. Um, <laughs> But always surprising. I mean, I think, I mean, the, 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 the food fancy dress costumes in Children's Week this week is one of the best, best challenges we've done. Um, I mean, they, they, they are, some of them are brilliant. I think the carrier bags, the, the woven shopping bags in reduce, reuse, recycle was a great challenge. Um, they always surprise us. Um, they, they always surprise us. There's some amazing things. I mean, I, I, it's such a fun show to work on. It's hard to choose. You know, it's like choosing a favorite child. But, but also, Esme and I get to go downstairs and do the crossword for an hour and a half. Which is also, <laughs> they slave away over their creations. Yeah, I'd have to agree. I think the transformation mm. challenge is my favorite as well. That's the one where I find myself... Um, like shouting at the screen more than ever, you know, more than like, oh my God, what are you doing? And and then I always, at the beginning of the transformation challenge, I always make a kind of mental note of what I would do with that challenge and then see kind of how that compares to other people. And I, I like that. That's definitely my favorite one too. Yeah. I mean, we set, we, we set the challenges and, um, you know, we have an idea of what we think people are likely to make. So obviously, we you know we all get together to do all of the challenges for the entire series. Um, you know, about three months before we start filming, we start working on those challenges. We all get round in a room and we're like, what are we going to do this? <laughs> Amazing. Come up with ideas and we're like, oh, that'll be cool. Um, and but then, you know, we, we Esme and I go and film that little bit where we talk about what we would do. And we're like. I mean, really, what would I do? I mean, and, and it's, it's, um, it is always amazing. I mean, everybody thinks they haven't got creativity in them. Oh, I'm not creative. But everybody has it in them. And, you know, it's amazing to watch them kind of gain in confidence as they go through the series. You know, that transformation is the thing that I think really, really starts to bring them out of themselves. And it's always fun to watch. And last question for you guys before we say bye. Um, what would you recommend if you were trying to achieve a more professional finish at home? What type of things should home sewers be focusing on for that? What's the most important? Um, I would, I mean, there's a couple of things. I, I would, I, I, to be honest, I don't think I would be able to say that there was one thing that would, one kind of fix or trick to get a professional finish at home, I would definitely say invest in an overlocker a hundred percent because that just 
makes your insides just really feel a lot more professional, especially if you don't have the time to do bound seams or, you know, or French seams, or if your fabric is not, you know, right for that. Um, Overlock is definitely a good investment. And, um, but I think all the little things like understitching, um, you know, hand sewing linings, I think if you can just take a little bit of extra time just to get those hidden things finished in a way that are beautiful and flawless and satisfying I think that's how you'll get a lot more satisfaction as well out of your home sewing a lot more pride and um and and also a more durable long-lasting which you know professional finish I would say I would say invest in really good tools a sharp set of shears is absolutely essential for a, for a good finish and a really good iron and a good ironing board, a firm, not a spongy iron. You can't press well on a spongy ironing board. Have a firm ironing board and take your time with it. You know, cutting out, cutting out is essential. Cut it out absolutely perfectly. Do not bodge your cutting out. I mean, we see it quite often. I, you know, everybody loves to use those cutting wheels. We don't use them at all. We use shears and Make sure your cutting is absolutely on the line. If you start with badly cut stuff, you're never going to get it to look right. Always um, cut to the left. When I learned from Savile Row, we would mark everything with chalk and then cut it. So we would never cut straight from the pattern. But I understand that that's, you know, that's not, not everybody's way. But I think it's just take your time with it. You know, sew it. You don't, the sewing machine can go incredibly slowly. You know, you can you can you can turn it round corners. You don't have to, you know, you don't have to use the foot pedal all the time. Be precise with it all, and that will get you a really nice finish. But you know, I think just don't don't. I mean, I say this, and we I run a show where we, you know, I'm on a show where we're um, forcing people to sew <laughs> against the clock. But you know, um, yeah, take take your time. Thank you. Um, oh, and I do have one last question that we've been asking all our guests at the end. What was the last thing that you sewed other than a face covering? Because I'm sure that's probably. <laughs> yes, a face covering and lots of other face coverings and some bits of PPE. Um, before that, actually, the last thing I sewed was a, uh, a fancy dress outfit. I did it backstage at Sewing Bee. What was it? Can you? Uh, oh, God, I can't even remember what it was now. I'm not going to say what it was. <laughs> <laughs> Why not? Well, because it's one of those questions that so one of the newspapers asked me, and they, I knew they were fishing. It was a tabloid. They were fishing for stuff, but I just didn't want to say. So, I'm not saying that. <laughs> anyway, very nice fancy dress. Um, before I go, can I just say that if anybody does want to get involved in making face coverings, you know, there are things, you know, that there are. We, we all need them. I mean, we, we you know, we, we're, we're connected. We started Big Community So in connection with, you know, the Cabinet Office and Public Health England to try and get people making them for their communities because we, we need them. And, you know, the, the, the advice is really clear. You know, they will help reduce transmission of, of, of COVID-19, especially in, in situations where you can't distance yourself. So, you know, as we're going back to work, as we're taking public transport, as we're, you know, more of us will be in shops. We need this stuff and we need to, you know, we still need to remember to socially distance. We still need to remember to wash our hands and all of that stuff, but people need them. So if you want to help your communities out, you know, your neighbours, your friends, 
any you know associations lots and lots of people sewing for charities care homes some still for you know bits of uh, bits of the health service um that all the information you need is is on our website which is bigcommunitysew.co.uk Elise Lex's fantastic patterns are on there loads of videos from lots of fun people lots of current and and former sewing bee contestants um it's uh, it's really really easy and it is kind of fun and there's been some really really you know touching stories of people who found solace and purpose during lockdown by just the simple act of kindness that is making something for somebody else and so i would encourage as many people as possible to to get involved absolutely well thank you so much for coming on patrick and elisa lex it's been really nice chatting to you thank you for having us my pleasure thank you Patrick launched the Big Community Sew to encourage home sewers to pull out their sewing machines and get sewing face coverings. Elise Lex has drafted a couple of patterns that are available to download for free from their website, www.bigcommunitysew.co.uk. We really hope we've encouraged you to sew up a few face coverings and gift them on to those who can't make their own. Thanks so much for listening. Don't forget to hit subscribe and many thanks to Faf for sponsoring and Fred for editing.